welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Missio Alliance and Kairos Partnerships. Uh, this episode that you're about to hear, we had the privilege of recording back in December during the Advent season. Uh, unfortunately, we did not have room to put it in uh, season two, and so we've bumped it to season three. Although you may be hearing things like Advent and this time of season, um, we still believe that what we have to say in this is very pertinent to our time and space uh, as pastors and leaders. So we hope you really enjoy this episode. Good morning, Doug. Well, I was hoping you would call me Spurgeon, actually. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, Doug has a wonderful beard that rivals Charles Spurgeon right about now. Yeah, it was funny. I was actually, Jared and I were on a call a few days ago, and he was like snapping. It's like I was like pouring out my soul, and he's like snapping pictures. That, I mean, I wasn't really, but he sent me the picture of my face and Spurgeon's face next to each other, and I'm not- Identical I mean, twins. Yeah. like Identical. I, I, I mean, I've, I mean to, be, to be mistaken as Spurgeon. For those of you who know what Charles Spurgeon looks like, but have no idea what Doug Moister looks like, just picture- <laughs> Charles Spurgeon with a hat and some cool glasses on, and that's Charles Spurgeon. You're welcome. Yes, so, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's good to be with you nonetheless. Yeah, seriously, man. Really, <laughs> I, I I think what I think what people have to realize is like when we get a chance to record these, it's just so good for us, and the ministry that yeah. happens before and in between yeah. these for us is just super super yeah, before encouraging. and after we press record. Yeah, it's sacred. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And so we always talk about like we sort of record several MMP episodes at a time. One is not recorded yeah. for you all to hear, but it's recorded in our souls. Yes. And then one is recorded for you all to hear. So we're we're not two different people. We're not hypocrites. We're, no. But it just, yeah, some of those relational things of even just deeper and naming people that we know that wouldn't always be appropriate with the record button on. So, Correct. Uh, that's always that's always fun. But as we inch closer toward Christmas, or again, as our liturgical friends, this is Advent, but we're getting closer to Christmas. But in this season of December, it can be really difficult and very emotional for people. And before we pressed record, Doug, you were talking a little bit about some of the difficulty as a pastor of hearing people's hurts and burdens and emotions and difficulties and how that's impacting you, not just as a pastor, but as a person. So what is that like for you in December? Do you brace yourself knowing, oh, this is going to be another difficult month for people? Uh, how, do you, how do you approach that? And what are the emotions like in your December? Yeah, I think well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I I I think it is a it's a difficult time, and and you you had a word that you used. Um, yeah, accentuate. Accentuate. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really what it is. Is it's it's if if I'm in a if I'm in a bad place the end of November, then December is going to be really bad. Or if I'm in a good place, moving, mm. I'm just feeling great. And so, mm. and same with people, right? Right. I mean, right. You know, it's been a great year for you. You're happy. Now you're happier. Yeah. It's been a hard year. You've lost a loved one. It's been right. a difficult year with your children or your marriage or at work, you've lost your job. It just seems to be, I'm sad. Now I'm even sadder. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little hope. Now I feel even less hope this time yeah. of year. And, and I think for me, uh, like the one thing that happened actually just earlier this week was, uh, I have a tendency where I'll snowball things. So, oh man, uh, I'll use language like, uh, there's just a lot of hard things in this season. And so, you know, I was sitting with the Lord on just the other day. I was like, man, Lord, it feels like there's just a lot of heavy things, a lot of hard things happening. And it's almost like he checked me. It's like, is it a lot or is there a specific number? 
I was like, oh man. And for a moment I realized actually there's four head hard things, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I think what that did is it almost, it almost like took that high, that, that low swing and it leveled it. It almost like corrected it. Like, oh yeah, there are those four things that are really hard and heavy and, and, and I get to be present to those, but I get to be present with not four. And yeah. that just really seemed to change the trajectory of, of feeling like sometimes I, I think as pastors, we can be avalanched by those things and they just kind of come out of nowhere. And it's like the stuff that's happening in other people's lives. We, we feel it. Uh, you know, I'm a feeler, I'm a high feeler. Um, but, but I can then feel it, but also kind of put it in the right place of it's, it's not, it's not my burden to carry alone. It's, it's, I get to shoulder that with others and, and, and it doesn't all fall on me in this season too. Yeah, that's so, good. So I think it, even in that way, it, it kind of freed me up then to also see the really good things that are happening too. Hmm. Um, and I feel like I'm in a season right now, we're all in that, we're always in that season where there's, there's good and bad, you know, the, there, there is the, the Lord causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the, you know, and the wicked. And, and I think even in those moments to just recognize like, yeah, God is just good and he's faithful, but there is something really powerful to be about to, for me about numbering that and not saying a lot, like leaving it ambiguous, like, oh, everything's bad. And I think that's that, really wise. That's a space I can run to very, very quickly. Yeah. That's really wise. In the counseling profession, they have a phrase saying like naming things as a way of taming things. And so you named it. And you tamed it, right? Instead of saying, oh, there's so much going on. There are four stressful things. And those are four hard, very difficult, non-fun things. But you were able to name it in such a way that it actually tamed it in your soul. It didn't make it go away, but it just seemed to bring it down to a level that was more manageable. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, what, uh, What are lies you're tempted to believe in December? Oh boy. Just as uh, you're trying to carry people's burdens in this accentuated state. Yeah. I, I think, I think that, that I have to fix it. I, th- there is part of me that, that automatically runs into fix mode or, or man, if I would have prayed this, or if I would have said this, or, or I have to be hyper diligent for that person. Um, and it's almost like in, in some ways, I think that, that lie, that, that, that if, if I don't, if I don't attend to it or fix it, then, then their life is going to fall apart in, in some, I mean, that's, that's almost damning for me to even to, to say that. Cause then it's it just like, it puts, there's this like savior complex that I think is present mm. in, and maybe not in all pastors. I know that that is for me. And, and I don't think it's this I'm God and I can fix it as much as I'm important. And I really need to make sure that this person knows how loved they are. So it's, it's a, it's the right motivation, I think, or it's the right intent. But I think sometimes that motivation can, can get kind of messed up a bit. So I think that's one lie. I think another lie that I'm ten- tempted to believe in this in this situation or in this season is like it's just going to be bad and everything's bad and you know everyone's grieving and everything's hard when in reality I I have to I have to be reminded like there are really good things happening too. Yeah, so it's not good. just all bad. Um but but even I think the other lie and so the third one that I would say has been interesting is just that that it's okay it's okay for people to 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 feel safe to fall apart in this season too. Like I I don't I don't want to I don't want to live in a space where I feel like we well, everybody has to hold it together right now. But just say like man, like so I guess the the lie would be like we have to hold together, we have to put our smile on, we have to have our Christmas pajamas on and do our fun stuff. It's like no, it's okay to have just a hard December. And I mean, that it is, it's a tough season. You know, we miss family in this season. We yeah. miss friends. We miss loved ones. We, you know, if we have seasonal depression, that that's when this really starts to rear its ugly head. You yeah. know, the 
days get long. I mean, it rained. Uh, yeah. It feels like it rained for like four days in a row. Yeah. And man, that that's a, I, I don't mind the rain, but it gets to become a heavier situation after a while. Um, so yeah, I think just being able to, being able to just notice that these are hard things and also realizing like, but I, but, but just because it's hard for you doesn't mean that it has to be hard for me too. And mm-hmm. I think just having that freedom to say, I can sit in that puddle with you mm-hmm. and we can cry together and we can hug. But at the end of the day, that that's, that's not my reality and that's okay. Yeah. Well, on your most difficult days, Doug, you can always come over and borrow my Buddy the Elf costume <laughs> if you'd like to put it on. Oh my gosh. I've lent it out to other people to, to use. I use it in December, but you're more than welcome to use it if you need it. Oh my gosh. You should start renting that like you could probably make some money i mean because yeah. you were in a parade recently yeah with this guy, oh right? in fact it's expected the christmas expected. parade they're like there buddy he's back and my uh, wife dresses up as jovi which is awesome <laughs> so we're buddy and jovi together and it's funny how people are like wait you're a pastor like are you allowed to dress up <laughs> no. like buddy the elf i'm like what does that mean but uh no it just brings a lot of joy and reminds me to not take myself so seriously mm. but yeah another gentleman in our church who has hair like buddy the elf he does uh he actually borrows it every year and uh <laughs> Yeah, my mother-in-law got it for me for Christmas like six years ago, which <laughs> shows you how awesome my mother-in-law is. But uh, yeah, then next year she bought Jovi. And so we we now <laughs> go to events and Halloween. Uh, we dress up oh as that gosh. and uh, yeah, holiday parades and uh, it's fun. So if you ever want to borrow it on a hard day, just come over. I appreciate that. I feel like a challenge for you would be, can you guys wear that out to eat sometime? Like go to a super fancy restaurant. You know what? I almost wore it to the <laughs> Lansdale tree lighting ceremony are on you, Friday night. Are you serious? Almost. Almost. Oh man. Yeah. Should, should have done it. I will do it next year. Next year. Not to tuba Christmas though, which is a big event in our town on the, uh, in December where about a hundred tubas get together and play Christmas music. It'd be a little bit distracting, yes, but, but not at the tree lighting, which yes. I will do next year. Oh, that, that sounds good, man. That's <laughs> like we weird. went like. Our guest today is Bob Hyatt, a church leader in the beautiful city of Boise, Idaho. He serves as the Director of Equipping and Spiritual Formation for the Ecclesia Network, and he also works with Missio Alliance to equip leaders around the country. Bob helped plant a church called the Evergreen Community in 2004 in Portland, Oregon, and he's also served churches in North Carolina and the Netherlands. I have the opportunity and the privilege of co-authoring two books with Bob with InterVarsity Press called Eldership and the Mission of God and Ministry Mantras. Beyond his family and pastoring, his passions revolve around coaching other ministry leaders towards Jesus-focused success in ministry, success being defined not by numbers, but by clarity around and achievement of personal, spiritual, and ministry goals. He's married to Amy, and they have three children, Jack, Jane, and Josie. We hope you enjoy this conversation with our good friend, Bob Hyatt. Bob, it's really good to have you on the show with us today. Thanks again for joining us in the Monday Morning Pastor. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So why don't you let our listeners know just your story, your story of ministry, uh, how, how, like calling, where that happened, where that started, where it led you and where you are today. Yeah. Uh, I think it started for me in fifth grade. Uh, Somehow I got it into my head that I wanted to be an army chaplain And I think that was a function of being raised by a grandfather that uh, was career army, but also feeling a call to ministry. And somehow those two got mashed together in my head. And luckily for me, uh, the army part 
dropped off. I, I never enlisted or served. Uh, I don't think I could have taken that, but the, the ministry part really stuck. And through Christian school and youth group, it, it, it kind of just became the trajectory of my life that I wanted to go into ministry. So I went to Bible college and after graduating there, seminary, uh, ended up as a youth and worship pastor in the Netherlands, and then briefly in North Carolina before making my way back to Portland, Oregon, where I had gone to seminary. Um, after doing a, a couple of years of a counseling degree, just to to uh, kind of equip myself with some tools that I felt had been missing from my theology MA, uh, it, it, it became clear that the path for uh, my life and and for that of my wife and my family was church planting. So in 2004, we planted a church that met in a pub, uh, which at that point was still kind of a fairly new concept of a church in a third space and uh, pastored there for 14, 14 and a half years uh, before handing that off to those that we had raised up. Um, made a, a, a a decision to to move our family out of Portland and uh, ended up in Boise, Idaho, which was a, kind of a providential move as we were getting ready to hand things off at Evergreen. Uh, I had been sending out some resumes, and I don't know if uh, this will make sense to the listeners, but when you when you plant a church and you do it very. Um, I guess maybe the word would be idiosyncratically, you know, you, it, it becomes uh, like for us, we were very gospel centered, but we had women in leadership. It was just this hodgepodge of ministry philosophies and, and theology that was very much us, but it made finding a position somewhere else really difficult because there was no way that me and my experience was going to line up very well with denominational churches or other churches. Um, so it, it was just this this kind of period of, of looking and lots of interviews, lots of talking, but nothing really happening. And I knew God was up to something. I just didn't know quite what and uh, towards the end of the, the summer of 2018, my wife was getting a little nervous. And Amy, she was saying, uh, Bob, uh, school's coming. We got to get the kids in. We know we want to leave Portland. If you don't find something by August, how about if we just move to Boise? <laughs> and I said, um, no, uh, I, I, I don't really want to do that because then, you know, the chances of finding the right church to serve at in Boise were you know, zero to, to nil. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. And if we moved and then I did find something that would probably mean moving again. Um, so we were coming through Boise on uh, just a little vacation trip, uh, visiting some of her relatives. And I was talking with her uncle who is very connected here and a supporter of Christian ministry here. And he started telling me about this guy he knew that had this vision to plant 100 to 200 churches in this area over the next 10 years because of the explosive growth here. And there was something that happened in that conversation where God just flicked a switch in my heart and suddenly Boise made sense to me. 
And I began to see that this next season for my life was less about pastoring a church and more about working with those that are pastoring, pastoring the pastors in a sense. And my work with Ecclesia is very important to me. Um, and I, I just began to see how moving to Boise and connecting with church planters here uh, and encouraging and equipping them could really be the trajectory for the next season of my life. So that is a real thumbnail sketch of the last 30 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, that in some ways, Bob, that's a lot of my journey of being in a local church and then transitioning to more of a kind of a regional or national kind of training and pastoring pastors. And so in many ways, we've journeyed together and again, I've co-written some books together. Uh, for some of our listeners who may not know about Ecclesia, just give just a brief explanation of what is the Ecclesia Network. And, and again, you and I uh, love working together through Ecclesia and Doug, pastors in Ecclesia Church. So we, we know about it, but those who aren't familiar with it, what and who is Ecclesia? Uh, officially, Ecclesia is a relational network that exists to partner with, equip, and multiply missional church communities uh, and missional church community leaders. I think unofficially, it's it's a it's a band of brothers and sisters. It really is. It's a tribe. You know, I was coaching someone once who um, was planting a church and, and it was a denomination uh, that he had been a part of for many years. And he said, you know, my denomination is my family. I I will always be part of them. They um, They just don't get what I'm trying to do. And Ecclesia is my tribe. Ecclesia is, is where I find people who get me who understand what I'm trying to do in this outside the box church planting. And that's what I found is, is I came to Ecclesia in year, I don't know, two or three of church planting. And I was very lonely and uh, excited to find men and women who had similar visions of ministry and were just unabashedly for me. In ministry, no sense of competition, just just as a sense of cooperation and support. So, that that's what Ecclesia is to me, at least. Yeah, yeah, and I actually distinctly remember the first conversation you and I had. I actually really? called you. Yeah, I called you because we were in the process of planting, and we had an opportunity to do it inside of a bar, and we thought this is weird. Are there any others that are doing that? And somebody had mentioned your name and said, you know what? I have this guy out in Portland who's a pastor and they meet in a pub. You should talk to him. And that was our first conversation. I was sitting in my car in a parking lot uh, about 30 minutes from here. I still remember that conversation. Even if you don't, Bob, it doesn't hurt my feelings. But I distinctly remember it. <laughs> but it was really important. And you have been a part of my journey since 2006, which is, which is crazy that we've known each other that long. But, um, but speaking of that, you know, you've been in ministry a long time and there have been moments of despair that you and I have talked about. There have even been long stretches of discouragement and wondering like, what are we doing? So how have you not lost heart in faith in God, faith in the local church? How have you not grown cynical and bitter and burned out? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's been a number of things. Uh, one of the one of the main things, the earliest thing that my, my mind really goes to when you ask that question is I remember in the early days of church planting, um, and even before that, it, just in pastoring, 
having the sense that um, how things are now is how they will always be. Like when, when things would be going well and we'd have a particularly great Sunday or a great season, I begin to think to myself, wow, we've, we've made it, we've arrived, we're, we've, we've hit the hockey stick graph and it, it's all uphill from here. Um, and of course that, that never lasted. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the, the, the flip side to that is, is thinking when things were going particularly bad, I remember some Sundays going home so discouraged. Uh, it would be a low attendance Sunday, a low energy Sunday, and I would preach terribly. I'd just give a mess of a message. And I would lay in bed that night thinking to myself, no one is coming back next week. Who in their right mind would ever show up to that again? And I'd get there the next Sunday and there would be everybody just kind of all ready to meet one another, love each other, listen to the word. Like it, 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 it dawned on me that my perception of how things are one wasn't the perception of how uh, of everyone else and how they thought things were going. I always thought things were going better than everyone else did or worse than everyone else thought they were going. Um, but to just that realization that how it is now is not how it will always be. We go through these seasons where things are on the upward swing and that doesn't mean we've arrived and we go through seasons of, of difficulty and that doesn't mean that we've crashed and burned or that somehow it's all over. And just holding on to that idea that how things are now is not how it will always be really tempered the highs and, and softened the lows for me. And that made a huge difference, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond that, I also saw, and you've, I know we've talked about this before, but one of the main things that we've seen in working with church planners that really makes the difference between those that seem to make it for the long haul and those that don't is this idea of resilience and the ability to turn, uh, I always just think of it as lemons into lemonade, you know, that, that idea that when difficulties come, it's either going to uh, deflate you and make it so that you have less and less energy and things get harder and harder, or you're going to take that feeling of, of difficulty, of uphill struggle, and turn it into motivation. Um, I remember some of those Sundays that, that seemed so, so difficult when I thought nobody is ever going to come back. Those actually, I would wake up Monday morning and I would, I would have all this energy. I would want to fix things. Okay. That sermon didn't go so well. What went wrong? Let me figure it out. Let me work harder this week. Um, this went really wrong with our setup. What can we do differently? You know, it, 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 Turned out I, I had to change my day off from Monday, the traditional pastor's day off to Friday, just because when things went well, I'd go into Monday with all this energy. And when things went terribly, I'd go into Monday with all this energy. Mm. And I realized that there was something happening within me of that sense of, look, it doesn't matter if it's, if it was good or bad. Um, here's a new week. And whatever happened, I need to use that as, as fodder, as energy for this, this coming week. 
um, in ministry. So I, I think that that sense of just working an internal resilience in, in myself, that was a big, a big part of it. So no, so, I mean, you, you talk about the internal, you know, working that internal resilience and, and I know that, that spiritual formation has a lot to play to play in that. So like, how, how, do, how did you see the role of spirit formation play out in your life? Um, and, and even just as you're thinking about other pastors, like how, how would you encourage folks in terms of like paying attention to the inner world? And I think that resilience is, resilience is a really key word, right? Right now, I think for a lot of us, um, because honestly, there are many days when it's like, dude, I would totally cut lumber at Home Depot for the rest of my life and feel pretty good about it. Um, but I think there's something really important about, and, and I think you're hitting on it in terms of like the inner, the, the inner, the inner life of a pastor. And so like, how do you see that with spirit formation and what does it look like? No, that's a great question, Doug, because um, resilience isn't something that like uh, you just pick up off the shelf at the store. It is something that you have to, to actually intentionally work towards internally. And I think the thing for me that got me to that place was the realization that everything is formation. Mm. Um, I began to look at my life as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a church member, a member of our own community, just it, it, through that formational lens of this is all formation. So when I have a bad Sunday, what's the formation piece for me here? How, what am I going to allow this to work in me? If I do allow it to work discouragement and depression in me, I'm, I'm in trouble because there's going to be a lot more of these Sundays. Uh, that's just the way life works. Um, but if I allow it to work determination in me, if I allow it to work a deeper love for people, if I allow it to work uh, a, a stronger dependence on God and, and an acknowledgement of my need for him, then it's doing something and it, it's done something good in me. Um, and I, I think when you begin to see all the ups and downs of ministry as a way that God is forming you, and the ups aren't any better, they're not any more forming than the downs. Um, in fact, they're probably less so. Yeah. Uh, you begin to, to really embrace those things as they're not good or bad, they just are. And you begin to look for the ways in which God can work in and through those things. So you talked about moving your day off on Monday to moving it to Friday. And so one of the questions we always ask, obviously on Monday morning pastor is what do your Mondays look like? So let me just tweak this for your own context. And it sounds like you were reading yourself very well to realize, Hey, if I've got energy, maybe that I should utilize that positively. So what does, what does your Friday, what did your Friday look like in ministry? How did you spend it? What did you do? What did you not do? Well, the, and and just to be clear, there were actually two reasons why I moved from Monday to Friday as my day off. And one was that I did have energy on 
on Monday. But the other was that when my f- days off were Monday and Saturday, uh, I would I would get into Saturday and I would find that basically I, Saturday was uh, I was kind of coming down off of the uh, a busy week and. By the time Saturday was over, I was ready to rest, but it was time to move move on to the next day and get to church and set up. And I really needed a whole day to decompress. So I began to take Friday and Saturday off. And Fridays were, um, for me, Amy was still uh, mostly at home and the kids were younger. And so during these years, um, they started to go to school, but two of, we have three kids. So one or two of them would still be at home. So we split the day in half. Friday morning was my time. I would, my time to be alone, uh, my time to go read, write, think, uh, take a nap. Uh, I'd go to the mall and sit in a chair and do some reading and eventually just kind of uh, nod off. And everybody made fun of me for being the old man napping at the mall. <laughs> You're that guy. You are literally that guy. Wow. Fantastic. They had comfy chairs. <laughs> you know? And your chance of getting a comfy chair at Starbucks, and besides Starbucks is way too loud, you know, it's just it's it's no good. So you just I just walk out into the mall where there's these wonderful <laughs> leather chairs and I could put my feet up and read and just kind of nod off, you know. Anyway, so I would take the mornings and that was my time. And then Amy. Friday afternoons was her time where I would be at home with whatever kids were at home or doing what needed to be done around the house. And she would get away by herself and get a break. And that way we each got a full half day. And Mm. then Saturday was just kind of family Sabbath day of, of rest or whatever was, was going on. Yeah, that's good. And we're finding that a lot of people say, Hey, Sabbath and this idea of rest sounds great. But when we have young kids, what does this even look like? Is that even possible? And one of the things that we've heard done well is when, yeah, sometimes you have to take, Hey, I'll take the morning time. You take the afternoon time. And we kind of split that day that that's been a lot of uh, salve for people that really, really needed it. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's great that you that you feel that. Yeah, and I I definitely really appreciate too how you were honest enough to tell us that you're that weird guy that falls asleep at the mall. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, that's really, really right. like, like super vulnerable, man. Um, but you know, one of the one of the things that I think would be really helpful, and and I've Jr. and I both have heard you talk about this, but you talk a lot about the formed life and the wounded life. Um, could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, sure. You know, I I think um, that most of us, we have this, this idea of ourselves, both an internal and a kind of an external idea that we present to others. This is this is me. And uh, I call this, and I, I think this might come from Larry Crabb, but it was something my my spiritual director gave to me and that I, I now give to others. But we, we call that kind of the managed life. And the managed life is all about looking good and feeling good. And it, it goes by principles. You know, I, if I do these things, I'll be a success. If I organize my time well, if I take care of my personal appearance, if I eat well, if, you know, it's all these, if I do these things, life will go well. And for the most part, that tends to work. The problem is, is that um, life hits us when we least expect it. 
tragedy happens, wounds happen, and we kind of sink down into this place of the wounded life. And for most people, the idea of living in the wounded life, their goal is to get back to that place of the managed life, of looking good and feeling good. And so the question that we ask ourselves in that wounded life place, in that place where we're kind of the the walking wounded is, how can I get back? How can I get back to looking good and feeling good? How can I get my life back on track? Just tell me what I have to do. Tell me the principles and I'll, I'll do them. But I think God calls us to something a little bit deeper. And that's rather than trying to work our way back up to this, this managed life uh, fiction in a sense is that when we find ourselves in those places, places of woundedness, um, that the question we would ask is, is not God, why are you doing this to me? Which is our knee jerk response always when bad things happen. Like, why is this happening? Which, you know, for better or for worse is not a question that we, we almost ever get answered. It, it, we always ask it, but I don't think God really deals in that question of why. Um, I think a better way is to look at that time that we spend in that wounded life place and ask God, if I have to go through this, and it seems like I do, because this isn't going away anytime soon, what can you do in me and through me with this? And that really takes us down into that place of the, of the forming life where everything is formation, where we look at what is, what is happening to us, not through the lens of how do I make it stop, but rather what can God do in this? How mm. could God use this to make me more like his son, Jesus? Uh, because if I have to go through this and it seems like I do, then I'd rather it not be wasted. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Doug and I have talked about this a lot. In fact, it ended up in my, in my dissertation. It was so important in terms of the questions that we're asking ourselves. And just even as you're speaking, even though I've heard this before, Doug and I have talked about this many times, it just made me think like the managed life is almost like, fi- you know, mentioned the word fiction, but the wounded life feels like w- what we do when there's friction or even fixation, where we try to fix things, right? So you go from friction to, to from fiction to friction, and then lastly, you know, sort of the the formed life is that of faith and formation. And so I don't know, I it may not work, but just these F's kind of came to me in each of those layers, those strata that we have, and that's been so formative. I'm so glad that you shared that here, and you've shared that in in years past. What is it? that do you think that keeps pastors from moving beyond managed, beyond wounded to get into the formed life? Well, because I think that most of what we learn about pastoring, uh, both what is implied and what we tend to infer kind of points us towards that managed life. I mean, we, we look at with our eyes, these pastors up on stage and we notice, oh, he or she is so put together. 
Oh, I love that man. That guy has better hair than I'll ever have. Oh, look at, look, listen to her speaking voice, how authoritative she is. You know, it's, it's all these external things. Look at the size of their church. Look at the size of their ministry to listen to the stories they're telling. And, and we want to know, nobody ever asks the question, um, Hey, what is it in your devotional life that led you to have such a a powerful relationship with God? No, they always ask, Hey, how did you grow your church? What leadership principles did you use? What practices did you put into place with your team? You know, it's almost as though our whole pastoral industrial complex is set up to point us towards this managed life of principles and, and um, practices which lead to success. And I'm, I'm not against those things. I mean, I, I want people to manage teams well. I want people to uh, be good communicators. Uh, it's just that we've seen over and over and over again that when gifting outruns character, that's a dangerous place for a pastor. Yeah. And yeah. so if your big concern is what can I, how can I grow my ministry? How can I increase my platform? How do I get better at what I'm doing? Um, it, that's okay. But if you're not asking the deeper questions of, of, am I being shaped more and more into the image of Jesus for the sake of others? If you're not asking that question, then um yeah, what does it gain a, a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Mm-hmm. What, does it, what does it matter if you grow a great church and after 25 years, just as you're about to hit the finish line, you, you drop out of ministry, you, something comes up and, and you're gone. You know, I, it just, it doesn't seem to be worth it. So I really want to encourage pastors to be thinking first and foremost about that deeper life of, and this is hard work. I, I get it. It, it really is. I'd much rather read a book that's going to give me tips on how to grow my church than a book that's going to necessarily take me into the deep waters of my soul. Uh, I know which one is funner to read for sure. And which one is, is more enjoyable to talk about at staff meeting. Um, but if, if we're not doing that deep work as leaders of others, we're in, we're in real trouble, I think, eventually. That's really wise. That's really wise. One of the things I draw back just a little bit, kind of, you, you've been super personal, which is awesome. And I love that. And that Doug and I find that to be so important. In fact, in some, some ways, I feel like MMP is a podcast directed for the formed life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot of wounded and managed life podcasts out there, and that's great. But we really want this to be about addressing the formed life. And you're really putting language to that here that's really helpful. So that's very, very personal that you've shared that. Kind of kind of go back up uh, and look back down on a national level. And I'm curious uh, if you could answer this part A and part B. What gives you hope? And at the same time, what also concerns you about the church in North America? Maybe it's a lot on what you already touched on with living in the fixed or the managed life or the, the, the wounded or the managed life. But what gives you hope 
And what concerns do you have about the church in North America? <laughs> I don't know if you guys are going to like my answer. <laughs> um, a while ago, I made an intentional decision to stop paying attention to the news as much. Uh, it just wasn't working anything good in my soul. And uh, I think along with that, like, I, I, I'm not sure what's happening in the, in the church as a whole. I'm really trying to pay attention to what's happening in the community that I'm in. And I'm not one of those hyper local guys that just are, are men or women that just seem to care about their own neighborhood or, or are so focused on neighborhood, neighborhood, neighborhood. Um, it's not that it's, it's almost as though my wife and I joke sometimes, um, the, uh, you know, a story on uh, we'll be watching a movie and some guy will, will have two families. We saw one of those recently and the joke will come up of, of, of me doing that. And I'll say, honey, I have enough trouble keeping one woman happy. I don't think I could ever. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about me sneaking off and starting another family because there's I don't have that that kind of energy. <laughs> and in the same way, I feel like, man, I, I wanna I want to be attentive to what God is doing in in my community. And that's almost all the all the attention and energy that I have. Now so all that to say, good things are happening in the church, hard things are happening in the church, as it has been always and as it always will be. The thing that gives me hope is the fact that, that Jesus is building his kingdom and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. The thing which discourages me is the fact that so many of us, um, well, two things. One is that is that I think a, a lot of a lot of pastors really are focused on that, that managed life, both in for themselves and for their churches. It's about how we look. It's about who we can attract. And without getting too deep into the attractional versus missional uh, kind of discussion or, or, or conflict, I, I would just say that um, if it's, if it becomes too much about that, I know that you want to think that we can, that the answer is we'll do whatever we have to, to win people to Jesus. My sense is that when you start doing whatever you can or whatever you, whatever technology makes possible, you lose sight of, of what should we do. And that's just one step away from just kind of creating this dog and pony show that, that it becomes all about attracting people rather than about the Jesus that you want to point them to. And I know that's not everybody. I know that there are, there are churches that have excellent production values that are really focused on Jesus. I just know the danger for the pastor's soul when they become very concerned about uh, when excellence becomes a top shelf value. I know what that does to them internally how it eats them up when something's not right, how it, it, it destroys contentment in their heart and how it makes them uh, sometimes become these terrible a, a personalities that drive their staffs to, um, to exhaustion all in the pursuit of making things a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better ad nauseum. Uh, 
And the problem is if you have to top yourself week after week after week, eventually you get to a point of, of diminishing returns and exhaustion where you just can't do it anymore. So, I mean, that's one thing that concerns me is this, is this focus on the externals. Um, but I, I, I think the, probably the biggest thing is if the thing that gives me hope is the fact that we know who wrote, who is writing the end of the story and where it all ends up. I, I think that sometimes in the church, we tend to lose sight of that and forget it in the sense that we think that, man, if we don't fight the culture, if we don't fight for what's right, if we don't, you know, um, and I'm not advocating the full Benedict option of just withdrawing, but I know for myself, I, I think the battle is won heart to heart on an interpersonal level. And it almost doesn't matter who's in the White House, what laws get passed, you know, and I know there's a, there's a huge kind of historical and, and cultural argument to be made there. Um, but I, I tend to think that the move of the spirit is on a deeply personal level and even large national movements are, it's just an amalgamation, a collection of what God is doing in the individual life. So yeah, I, I want to pay a little bit of attention, but not too much. So if you ask me about trends and things, I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> but he will come and sleep in a couch in your mall, which is good. I will. Yeah. It is yeah. It is my superpower. And you guys can test me on this. I can fall asleep <laughs> anytime, anywhere. Yes. I I have seen this it's multiple real. times in action. And it astounds me. It's, it baffles <laughs> me. It is beyond my comprehension. Oh my gosh. I could fall asleep right now. You guys want to see? <laughs> well, Bob, it's always a pleasure to just to talk with you. And and I just I really appreciate the way you talked about resilience and even just paying attention to the inner life. And so, yeah, just as, as we're kind of wrapping up our time, I would just love you to speak to the pastors that are feeling like maybe they're on staff or maybe they feel trapped in that. Um, I have to, you know, one up myself every single week. Like, can you give them some hope? Um, or maybe even just, uh, just, just, just the gospel in, in, in this moment. There was a point in my life where I was really dealing with um, uh, road rage and I would find myself in traffic, punching the steering wheel and yelling because the cars in front of me were slowing down. And one day it got so bad, I, I, I knew I, I got to think about this. I, I need to unpack what's happening in my heart. And as I sat and thought about it, what I realized was that the reason I was so upset was not because the traffic was moving slow, because, you know, if that happened to me when I was just uh, driving around or uh, on the weekends or whatever, it didn't seem to matter. It was always when I was running late for a meeting. And I realized that the thing that was driving that anger was this idea that if I get there late, these people are going to think I'm the late guy and I don't want them to think I'm the late guy. And where the gospel showed up for me in that moment, and it's a silly, small, little example, but where the gospel showed up in that moment was, was me remembering, oh, well, it's a good thing that Jesus is my Savior and those people aren't. Mm. And when I reminded myself of that, 
I was freed from that road rage anger. It was like, yeah, it's a bummer to be late and I should probably leave a few minutes earlier. But when the traffic hits, I'm not angry because I'm not as concerned about whether or not those people think I'm a cool guy or not, or I'm the on-time guy or the late guy or whatever. I'm really drawing my identity from who Jesus thinks I am. And, and Jesus, he knows the real me. He knows the good parts and the bad parts, but he loves all of me anyway. So I think what I would say to those pastors that are struggling or maybe that are feeling the need to be on that hamster wheel of just continual one-upmanship, you know, what are we going to do this week? How are we going to make it bigger and better next week? I would just say, you know what? Um, whether the, the crowds come or not, whether your church grows or shrinks, whether it's around for 20 years or only the next two months, who you are in Christ does not change. Mm -hmm. God is not grading you on your, uh, how big your church gets, how many uh, decisions. God is grading you simply on one thing. Are are you faithful to him moment to moment? Is your heart fully trusting him, resting on him? If it is, build a big church, that's fine. Pastor a small church, that's great. Do it differently every week, do it the same week. It doesn't really matter. What matters is... Uh, when I was young in Bible college, I did an interview with a pastor and I asked him, what's the secret to success in ministry? And he thought for a moment and then he said, success in ministry is fully dependent on success in your personal walk with Jesus. And that has always stuck with me. Um, and I've, I've kind of wrestled with that over the years of like, is that really it? You know, it's like when someone tells you the secret to losing weight you know, hey, it's not this crazy, weird diet that they just came out with. It, it's, it boils down to just this, eat less, exercise more. <laughs> That's it. That's all you have to do. You can add on all kinds of crazy stuff, but if you're eating less and exercising more, you're going to lose weight. And the fact is in your, in your walk with Jesus uh, and in your pastoral ministry career, um, when those two things are connected, when, when your walk with Jesus is the most important thing, when your relationship with God is the most important thing, um, the ups and downs of ministry will matter a whole lot less. You'll see those things as formation for your soul, not as a judgment on your worth. And when you get to that place, um, I think you'll find that, uh, the, 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 the things that are driving you lose their power. It all, it just becomes about how can I get closer to God today? How can I point others in that direction? I want to do whatever it is I can and then leave the outcomes up to God. And that's a place of real deep freedom. It's always fun to spend time with our friend, Bob. What a great guy. Yeah. I appreciate him that he can joke about falling asleep in the mall on a mall couch and then go real deep about the 
the managed wounded informed life, you know? Yes, I do. I, and you're, I, I want to say, I feel like I've watched him fall asleep at different places. I was somewhere with oh, him. Man. We were at a retreat and, uh, in Alexandria, I think somewhere. And it's like, every time I'd look for him, I think he was asleep. The dude can just fall asleep. Like, just say, I'm going to take a five minute nap and he'll just go in the corner somewhere and like sleep like on a hard floor. I'm like, <laughs> how do you do this? It takes me 30 minutes to fall asleep at night. Uh, and he can do it in the drop of a hat. All right, but, real fast. One, one funny sleeping story with Bob. So I re- <laughs> out of context, that's, sounds terrible. I, I totally remember. So uh, Bob Bob was my coach for a year uh, during just a really, really good transition, like during a transitional time. And it was he was awesome. If you're looking for a coach, highly recommend Bob. Um, but anyways, regardless, I remember I was just telling him, I'm like really did tired. Did he fall asleep during a coaching No, call? he didn't. Oh, but this oh. is great. I, I was like, he's like, how have you been? I was like, I've just been really tired. He's like, well, why don't you take a nap? I was like, I have work. He's like, listen, and, and I can't remember if he said every day. He said, most days at one o'clock, I lay down next to my desk. I have a little pillow and a little blanket and I set my alarm for 45 minutes and I take a nap. And I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> so he's like, you know, if you need to take a nap, just take a nap. And I'm like, that. Wow. now I know. I mean, he, this is the guy that sleeps in malls. And you so- know, Ronald Reagan used to do that. If, really? if Ronald Reagan do it. Yeah. Yeah. What he would do is he'd get a saucer from the kitchen. And he would take his keys, which I'm like thinking, why does the president have keys? Well, you're driving a car. You don't drive a car when you're the president. Yeah. But he would keep keys in his hand and he would sit on the couch in the Oval Office. And he would just take a little nap and he'd put the saucer underneath his hand and he would hold his keys and he would just take a little nap. And when his hand fell asleep and he let go of the keys, it would hit the saucer and make a noise and wake no him up. Way. Isn't that amazing? That's really cool. Yeah. That, that's yeah. like the cool, that's like before the smartwatch alarm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why he couldn't just tell an aide, hey, in 10 yeah. minutes, wake me up. But nonetheless. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, uh, we, we, and we digress. We digress. But, but Bob certainly talked about a lot. He talked about resilience, staying in the game, moving from Mondays to Fridays of just knowing his own rhythm and his own energy level, which I think was was fascinating even his own ministry call to fifth grade in fifth grade um which which was which was amazing and um so but but the thing i know that has impacted you and i is that managed wounded formed life which Mm. is just uh fantastic and as i mentioned i really think that mmp is a podcast for the formed life not how do we grow our churches or how do we look amazing or how do we blame god or others but how do we move into that? God, what do you have to speak to me or to teach me today? So we want to give our listeners a few questions and some resources. And so a couple of those questions, if you want to just think through the managed formed or managed wounded and formed life, those three strata that exist, um, we just want to challenge you. Where are you at? How do you operate? Uh, do you operate out of a managed life of how do I keep everything looking good? A wounded life of how do I get back to where I was? or a formed life of, Lord, what do you have to teach me in this? And I love Bob's phrase, everything is formation. And so a follow-up question would be, with what you have in front of you, the stressors, the excitements, the distractions, the uh, disappointments, how could that be an element of formation today? Not next week, not in theory, like today, with what you're worrying about right now as you're driving around in the car or you're running on the treadmill or you're listening at home. What can God use in terms of your formation today? Another question we want to submit to you that Bob asked was, how can I grow closer to God today and leave the outcomes to Him? What a great phrase, to leave the outcomes to God. So what is it that you need to let go of in the midst of that? 
So uh, leave us yeah. with some resources here, and Doug. A, a few resources. If you're interested in diving a little bit deeper into the managed life, wounded life, informed life, uh, Larry Crabb's book, Inside Out, is where a lot of those ideas, where that idea comes from. And there's a lot of good stuff to unpack through that. Um, and also check out the Ecclesia Network. Uh, if you're a pastor or a church planter or a ministry leader who's figuring out, man, I just have these, you know, I, I need a tribe. I need some friends. I need to figure some things out. We would just love for you to check out the Ecclesia network. Um, yeah. So to, to those who are listening today, uh, if, if you are, if you are in the managed life, I want to invite you and to remind you of the good news of the gospel, that you don't have to live there, that you don't have to look and feel good, but that you can actually trust that Jesus is good enough for you. Even in those hard spaces, you don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to try to put anything on. Um, if you're in the wounded life, I want to encourage you today to go in and deep, to look at that, that wound and that thing and to recognize recognize that that is this beautiful opportunity to see Christ's power move in and through you. And if you're in the form life, may you continue to be faithful to looking at all of life as an invitation and opportunity for formation. 